my son had a gift with technology. With reliable internet at home through the Internet Essentials Program, the world opened up. He's part of this next generation of young people who feel they can thrive. Through Project Up, Comcast is committing $1 billion to help open doors for the next generation with the connectivity and skills they need to build a future of unlimited possibilities. A lot can happen between falling in love with a house online and owning it, between imagining living there and breathing in your new home for the first time. Having an advocate who can help you navigate the complex world of financing, inspections, negotiating, analyzing the market, and talking through any anxieties that may pop up, that can make all the difference. That's what the expertise of a Realtor can do for you. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors and bound by a code of ethics. Because that's who we are. Episode 121 of the Highly Relevant Podcast, a Latinx show where I interview the people and discuss the moments that are shaping our American and Latino pop culture. Well, it's been an interesting week in pop culture, to say the least. Um, 90210 is back. I'm not sure if you guys have had a chance to see the show. Well, um, I got some thoughts. But for context, um, I need you to know that I religiously used to watch 90210 when I was a teenager. It's like, that was what I would do, what was it, Monday night or, I feel like they changed it like between summers, some seems to be like on Wednesday or something like that, Um, and I wanted to be Jason Priestley, I I wasn't that much of a Luke Perry fan, but Jason Priestley, he's the guy that I envisioned myself kind of being like, Um, so when I heard that they were returning after a 30 year TV reunion, I was all in, all in. Then um, I saw the first episode, and it really pains me to say I'm not sure if it was the right decision. And granted, it's been only one episode, but if you haven't seen it, look, the show is a fictionalized, behind-the-scenes look at how the real-life 90210 actors contemplate whether reuniting for a reboot 30 years later is a good idea. And (laughs) I mean, I don't want to throw any puns, but maybe it wasn't such a good idea, Uh, It's definitely an acquired taste. Uh, The concept is very similar to what uh, Charlie Kaufman does or what Seth Rogen came up with for his surrealist film, This Is The End. That movie was clever. It was on the money. And maybe because it was movies and it was comedy, uh, a black comedy at that, it it worked well. Um, But this 90210 iteration, it's heady. But that's not the problem. The problem is that it was a little too real for me. And it broke the fantasy of all my 90s memories. This is not the 90210 you guys remember. It's angry. It's cynical. And at times, it's a sad, cringeworthy look at these cherished, iconic characters just falling from grace. So why did I think I would like this? Truthfully, it was never about us, the fans. It was giving themselves a reason to not feel cheap about a reunion that they knew would be highly anticipated. When I talk about they, I'm talking about the cast. They're all executive producers on the show. But, you know, it's not the context I wanted to see. I wanted to see an interesting follow-up to the characters 30 years later, married, fighting through adult challenges, 
but always there for each other, where the friendship was always the nexus of the show. Um, And so you do that for six episodes, and I'll ask for another six on the spot right there and then. But this is what they had in store for us, this surrealistic, exaggerated, heightened version meta show about themselves that seems more experimental, like late night on Showtime, uh, even HBO, but I don't think it works on Fox broadcast in the same network that we remember the old show. And look, at the end of the day, the stone cold truth for me is that even though I don't feel that great about this episode, seeing them together in any storyline is enough for me. And I'm not, I'm one to immediately raise my hand and say, my nostalgia overrides all disappointment and I'm more than grateful to see these guys together than not. But anyways, nevertheless, uh, on this episode, I'm going to be talking to the founder of the New York Latino Film Festival, Calixto Chinchilla, uh, about what the festival has in store for moviegoers this year. I mean, we discussed whether the festival should change its name to the New York Latinx Film Festival since it's such a champion for Latinx voices. Plus, uh, Calixto gives me recommendations at the must-see movies you need to see at the festival uh, this year. Then, Mike Sargent and I give you our first reaction of the live-action version of Dora the Explorer from Paramount Pictures. It's an important movie for Latinx folks that are championing their voices be represented on the big screen. Is it the next Black Panther or Crazy Rich Asians for Hispanics? Well, listen to the review and you'll be the judge. But before we get into it, it's time I give you my weekly pop culture news recap in a segment I like to call Jacked In. Let's begin with the top movie news of the week. Pedro Almodovar's new film, Pain and Glory, will screen at the 2019 New York Film Festival. Dora and the Lost City of Gold is tracking for a $15 million to $19 million debut. Guillermo del Toro receives a star in the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Wesley Snipes has joined Eddie Murphy's Coming to America sequel. And Danny Trejo has joined the cast of the new sci-fi action series, Paragon. In TV news, Univision is ready to premiere the first ever gay primetime series called El Corazón Nunca Se Equivoca on August 13th. Jimmy Smith returns to TV on NBC's new legal drama Bluff City Law. The Game of Thrones creators ink a $200 million multi-year deal with Netflix. Will ABC's Grand Hotel have a season two? And Mario Lopez might get fired as host of Axis Hollywood before he begins over controversial remarks about transgenders. Switching over to music, J Balvin, Bad Bunny, Osuna are set to perform at the Texas Euphoria Music Series. The Jonas Brothers kicked off their Happiness Begins tour in Miami. Legendary songwriter and producer Rudy Perez is interested in writing songs for Broadway. And Los Tigres del Norte announced a Netflix original documentary. And in tech and social media news, Disney will bundle Disney Plus, Hulu, and ESPN Plus for just $13 per month. iHeartMedia will start airing its own podcast on over 200 of its radio stations every Sunday. Twitch has released its own broadcasting software, and Apple revealed its new Apple card to key influencers. Joining me now is Calixto Chinchilla. He is the founder and the executive director of the New York Latino Film Festival, which this year is celebrating its 20 years since its founding. Calixto, I'm glad to have you on the show, man. Thank you for having me. So this is a special year for you, right? Yeah, but it's funny because other people have recognized it, but I haven't in my, in my head. <laughs> but it's like a, it, it's, it's, a it's the two zero. It's two decades. Why hasn't it hit you? Um, 
because I'm still looking at it as the 16th edition. So, you know, it did take us, I guess, the first the first two years, it took us, well, it did take us two years to mount the first festival. So the organization wasn't, you know, was uh, already announced, you know, prior, like in 1998. So I, I don't know, I just never... I try not to think about it, but I'm glad everyone else has. So I well, appreciate it. It gives it a sense of um, excitement this year. Yeah. They're getting bigger than ever. What can ticket buyers expect this year from the New York Latino Film Festival in its 16th edition? Well, I mean, we have our Futuro Digital Conference, which we launched in our comeback. And really, it was about, I hate using our comeback, but in, in, that, in that period when we returned was really to have an event that not only impacted you know, cinematic storytellers, but just digital content creators and creators across the board and do it in a way where it's not just suits talking to, you know, us or millennials or, or content creators, but really kind of like that peer to peer kind of conversation. And it seems to be, you know, it's, it's grown quickly. It's, it's, uh, it's done what it's it's set to do. So it's it's really we've, we've had so many people build from it and grow from it. And I think it's just a different kind of audience, which is what we wanted to do from from the outset uh, when it came time to Futuro. So you know, there's that. We're honoring uh, John Singleton, so we have an outdoor uh, free park screening uh, that we're kind of honoring John and his daughter's going to be there to present. And people don't know this, but John used to come to the festival on the low. Oh, really? Talk to the filmmakers. Yeah, he would talk. He he had a couple of conversations, like just town halls to filmmakers on the low. And he was like that guy that would, you know, sit in the back of the theater and just look at films or talk to people. And just he was everything that people said he he was, you know, he is, you know what I mean? And, you know, so it was a it was a real loss, but he was really just a giver of information and um but how many people really know that but yeah he's attended a couple of times what is the theme of the new york latino film festival this year i know that you guys have a slogan called this is me what does that mean um we really don't go on themes versus I and mean, people think we do but we really don't but this is me was really uh when it came time to think about messaging and and you know it was really about diversity and really what does diversity look like to us and really the ethics of the festival. So to the, the inception of the festival, you know, we talked about the Afro-Latino experience. We talked about the LGBTQ experience. We talked about, um, you know, the, the U.S. Latino experience versus the international experience. So we've always been that festival um, that kind of really pushed the conversation. Um, and I think even when we first started, people questioned what we were doing. But now you have Why was that? I don't know. I, I think I think because these conversations didn't quite exist then. So now you're hearing the words Afro-Latino. I think now you're hearing, now you're seeing more Latino festivals kind of being open to LGBTQ content. And for us, we did that from the start. I think it's just, I guess that generational shift. Right. But the conversation, you know, just now people are kind of just talking about it. Um, and for us, that's how we always were back then. And Sometimes I would hear, oh, you know, he's showing too much Moreno stuff, or he's showing too much this, or they're doing that. And I'm like, are you kidding me? And then, you know, a lot of these filmmakers would be insecure because they would, I remember it would be gay filmmakers that only played the gay circuit, right? Right. Because that's where they would be accepted. 
And then I remember there was some surprise, like even Rose Troach, who's like a big Boricua lesbian filmmaker. I remember we showed one of her works and she was like, this is the first Latino festival that accepted me for me. That's insane. You know what I mean? Right. And, you know, you would have black filmmakers that would ask Latinos that were like, I, I grew up Latino. I just never really felt, I, you know, I could play here. Or this movie would work here. And I was like, no, you, you belong here. And so I think it's, it's that. And, and also, you know, if you look at that, that's how we actually had to motivate the audiences because then you had a, that same ethics that you had in, you know, with the films, you had to make sure that the audience felt like they were a part of it too. How does the New York Latino Film Festival, how have you guys grown with the word Latin X? Has there ever been any pressures to name the film festival, the New York Latin X Film Festival? For those, you know, uh, the ones that are very egregious about making sure that Latinos and Latinas aren't used anymore. No, not really. I mean, we're having conversation with you about it to kind of, you know, to be, to be open. We are, you know, to kind of have that kind of conversation. I think you have Latinos that don't like it and some that do. And some that, you know, question it. Um but do you so feel I any pressure it, it, at any moment that because you maintain the Latino as opposed to the Latin X to kind of reflect more of Hispanics no. today, you don't feel like you no. need to change it? Why? Not yet. Um, because I don't think the general consensus has switched to it. I think corporate reacted to it quick just to be safe. Um, but I don't think if you ask some folks in corporate, they're like, oh, we just, you know, some people don't like it themselves. Um, so <laughs> right. I, I think it's just, it hasn't been fully accepted yet. I think we're still, as a culture, still divided on it. What does um, Latinx mean to you, Calixto? I mean, I'm not big on the term myself. Um, I think it's like we don't need another bucket. I think it's, I think it's, you know, let people, I, I think for me, it's like let people identify themselves the way they want to be identified. And that's how I always do it. Uh, you know, it's not like there's a gay X. It's not like there's a black X. <laughs> right. So why why are we creating another bundle for ourselves? Um, that's a personal opinion. Um, you know, at this point, that's, again, that's just my my opinion. I, I I identify you the way you want to identify, and that's it. I'm not going to blanket you. I'm not going to say this is X and you're the X. I think there's a lot of connotations when you see X. X is wrong. X is not right. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I, so I don't really like that. Um, so, you know, and again, I just want to express it. my opinion, but, you know. My, my, my opinion about Latinx is more about being U.S. Hispanic than Latin American. Um, it's the first association I have when I hear the word. I hear more U.S. Hispanic, Latinx, interchangeable. Uh, then I obviously look at it as what happens when you're transgender? How do you call yourself if it's not an O or an A? Exactly. So you need the X for identification purposes, right? But if you're transgender, you want to be identified for the gender that you are. Correct. And so, you know, there's a transgender uh, talent that we're dealing with now and they want to be identified as that. And then some want to be identified as, uh, you know, the woman or the man that they are. And Correct. I think again, you know, just to my point, I I just think to bundle it, you know, I don't want to. I'm not sure that's the right 
way of thinking. I get the thought. I'm not sure that's what we should be doing. I think, you know, let's, you know, I'm going to call you as you want to be called. And if you want to be called them, then that's either X or Y. That's, that's them. <laughs> right. Um, Interestingly, though, is that even though that Latinx isn't necessarily the, the term that's used for the film festival as a whole, you guys do inhibit a lot of the the filters of what Latinx is in the movies that you premiere, in the voices, uh, in the creative voices that uh, you have as directors, actors, etc. cetera. Uh, how has the evolution of the New York Latino Film Festival gone through for the last 20 years? Is it the same? Have you seen the, 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 the creative voices change throughout the decades? Um, where are we now compared to where we were when the Latino Film Festival just started? Oh, I mean, it's evolved as far as the voice is concerned. Um, how it's re- our industry, res- the industry response is getting better, but we're still, we're still at that standstill to a certain extent. Certain things remain the same and some have changed. I think just seeing, um, obviously, this generation is viewing the culture from a different lens, right? Mm-hmm. We have social media. Now there's this, um, there's, there's a greater want and understanding to the multicultural experience of being Latino, right? And, um, I think that that's being reflected with the stories that you see come out of that, you know, and, and music, I always take a cue from music. From um, hip hop. You know, you, you hear, yeah, you, you hear from hip hop or you hear from reggaeton, you see Bad Bunny. Once you see these collabos happening and you've seen other cultures kind of come into it and you see like a Cardi B, like who would have thought, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it, it, then you're realizing, okay, the culture is being consumed differently and the children that are being you know that the face of being latino is changing and i think the stories that come with that obviously have changed um and and again these 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 kids are are looking at it from a different lens and i think so i think that that's all of that combination you're seeing a change in the content what you aren't seeing is a change in executive representation that's the problem is the investment yeah what what you aren't seeing is is us in those positions to green light. So yeah, you'll see a Latino executive here or there, whatever, but how many people of, of color really have, can, can, can really move the needle? Um, particularly Latinos, I'll say. And that seems to be the same issue. I, that hasn't really changed, unfortunately. Let me ask you something about the film festival business uh, as its own. You're not the only Latino film festival in the country. There are many of them uh, throughout many cities, mainly major cities and, and some not. But how do you feel the film festivals are working out in our country? Are any of them really making any progress? What needs to happen for the, for the film festivals throughout the country to really sort of rally up and kind of get that Toronto International Film Festival sort of cachet? Uh, I mean, it's tough because the audiences from city to city are different and the demos obviously are different. So I think the kind of content they can get will change. Right. And the audiences that they serve some, some stuff, you know, a film festival in Texas will, will play well. And I, I know I, I can't, it doesn't work for me um, and vice versa. So I think it's, I think it's a little bit of that. Um, 
and then I think, uh, yeah, I really think, I think a lot of it is just the cities and the audiences. Not every city, you know, can play films well, um, you know, the same. So I think that that, that might be the, uh, that might be the issue. Is, is part of your mission statement to take movies that are premiering for the very first time to give these uh, voices a platform? Is it ultimately to put those movies in the mainstream or does the shelf life end there? No, I mean, I want to get an acquisition deal just like anyone else. I think we thrive on that. I think we thrive on, uh, you know, breaking a film through and, and hopefully getting a deal. Um, and we've seen that happen. And I think for us, I think that what's great about what we've been able to do is that, you know, we really don't play by any rule. We look at our programming, you know, we play what, what kind of works for us, but we don't have any, so I don't have to, there's every kind of Latino in New York city. Right. So unlike a, a city like Texas or LA or what have you, I, I can play whatever, you know, whatever we feel like works. And, you know, there's some films that are distinctively New York Latino Film Festival films. You could, that, I think some people could tell you, but no, I kind of relish on, on, on breaking in a film and, and, you know, um, and hopefully seeing it get an acquisition deal. I mean, last year, all of our winners got a deal. Oh, wow. Um, That's great. And the year before that, um, you know, all of our short films, probably for the past five years, even after the hiatus, before the hiatus, we got a deal. Um, so I think that that's how you build that recognition when you become a place where people are like, okay, this is, this is a pipeline. Uh, you know, this is a festival that can really build audiences. This is a festival where, you know, studios are paying attention to. And so for me, from day one, we've always strived to be that, that festival that people look to, because you got to remember there wasn't a Tribeca before we came out when we came out, like the only thing that I looked at was a Sundance and yeah, I kind of wanted to emulate a Sundance, I think artistically. Um, mm -hmm. but beyond that, we had to be our own, but that studio industry cred, you know, we fought for, you know? And so, you know, since day one, when we premiered, you know, girl fight to take that as a New York premiere, I could have played the New York film festival easily. That was the hottest film back then. And then for, for Sony to trust, a nobody festival with the biggest film that they had, with the biggest acquisition that they had, that put us on the map. Right. That, that one move right there gave me, you know, gave the festival credibility. And then you take that moment and then you got to multiply it. Now you got to, you know, that has to happen the second year and the third year or whatever. Even to this year, you know, we're having, you know, films that, you know, that are breaking with us, our opening night, you know, Princess of the Row. You have Faruko that's breaking his film at the festival. Then you have artists that come to the festival. You know, you have Fast and Furious, you know, break a film, you know, premiere at the festival. That's where you, you kind of, uh, kind of get more studios to really start looking at you. And it's like, okay, well, now that's not a platform to premiere this work. Now you're going to look at this stuff too while you're at it. Right. And that's how you build that credibility as a, hopefully as a viable pipeline. So for us, that's where we start. We kind of fight hard, you know, to get those premieres and, um, 
you know, not just New York premieres, but those world premieres and, you know, really start um, growing that studio support. What are the major lessons that you've learned that you take today and you go, man, if I had to do this all over again, this is how I would start it out. You can't, you can't change a damn thing. <laughs> really? You wouldn't change you can't anything? Change it. No, because I, I believe, you know, I really believe God puts it into plan, the good and the bad. You learn from it and you move. And I think, uh, and you just got to move in it and through it. So I wouldn't change anything. I, I learned a lot. I mean, I, this was not in the cards. I never expected this. I was 21, like living in my mom's house, going to college. Like this was not, I never studied to do this. Like, you know, I, I had lofty goals, but then once, you know, people started reacting to it, I, I, I really had to just prepare for it. Um, and all of this happened, you know, organically. So now I can't change the, I can't change anything. Out of everything that everybody could expect to go see, what are some of the key films or key events that everyone should try and get a ticket uh, as soon as possible? I think the opening night, which is in the row, is brilliant. And so you want to talk about an evolution story. You know, this is a film that, you know, is about this, this African-American, this girl and her father. Her father suffers on, uh, for PSD syndrome and they're living on the streets of Skid Row. And a Latino family kind of takes them in, but she wants to live with her father. And so she's conflicted between stability and being with a father that can snap at any given moment. Some people that see me, they might think my life's dirt. But I always thought of my life like a fairy tale story. But again, this is to your point, like earlier, this is one of those stories. You look at the film, you look at the trailer, and you would think you probably wouldn't, you would assume a Latino didn't direct it. <laughs> right. Latino directed it. What is the association so, there, by the way? What does a Latino who, movie look like done by a Latino? And what is one like Princess of Rose supposed to look like? What, what ethnicity is that supposed to look like? You know what? I mean, cheesy ethnicity as she is. So she, the girl is black and the family is black. And I think, you know, like, Again, I mean, it, you have a director that does a, you know, he doesn't have to make movies. And right. That's, uh, that's, we should support that too. And I think that that's the point. Um, you know, how you see people changing now is like, okay, I need to make what's commercially viable and still stay somewhat culturally relevant. And I think that's what you have with this film. You know, it's entertaining. Um, it's great. It has the culture, but it's also, you know, uh, a moving story. And I think it's, that, that, I think, is what you're going to see, again, change. It's like, yeah, filmmakers are kind of just wising up. Okay, well, I, I, can be, I can be culture without necessarily alienating. You know, how do, I, how do I make a culturally relevant story and still be broadly entertaining? The I Like It Like That cast is getting together after, man, what, like 20-some-odd years? 25 years. Yeah. Welcome to the Bronx. For Lisette, it's a crazy place to raise a family. A hard place to hold on to your man. You see this ring? You know what that makes me? His wife. You know what that makes you? His home. Man, how did you guys get all these guys together? It's hard. <laughs> we haven't even finished doing it yet. It's, it's hard. 
uh, it's hard. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> and this was just again, this was an idea because uh, you know I had seen an article with uh, I was reading something about Tupac things about hip hop, and Tupac went to the New York premiere of the film, and I was like, oh shoot, Tupac came, and that was good up. And it had it on the marquee, and he was walking past the marquee. And uh, I said, well, when did this come out? It came out 25 years ago. And I put it in the poll of Sony and uh, the Motion Picture Association. I said, well, this, is, this could be interesting. And then I did this research on Darnell and what it took her to make the film. And, um, you know, as you know, she's the first African-American woman, you know, to have a studio film finance and distributor. Yeah. And the fact that she did this. So you want to talk about Latino Latinx and she she makes this movie and not only is it about the Puerto Rican experience, but it gets into Afro Latino, it gets into transgender, it gets into me too, it gets into, you know, machismoism. She covers all of this. If you really look at the film, all of this in a dramedy. She did it twenty five years ago. And some 25 years ago, some people thought, oh, you know, some people are like, oh, this is stereotypical or, they didn't, you know, we don't like this or they don't like that. And everything that she brought up then is what we're talking about now. I always felt like it was the Latino Spike Lee movie, you know? Um, yeah. It had so much of that influence in there, you know, New York uh, and that urban vibe that you don't really get from a lot of New York movies, you either get the Scorsese movie or the Woody Allen movie, but you didn't have that in between. And Spike Lee and Darnell obviously did that. Uh, Griffin Dunn is in the movie, by the way, guys. I'm not sure if you've seen it or not. Classic New York film. Like, this is perfect for the New York Film Festival, New York Latino Film Festival. Griffin Dunn is in it. Uh, Jesse Borrego, John Seda, Lauren Velez, who's hot right now. She just finished doing Spider-Verse, voice that. Yeah. I uh, forgot she was in something else recently too that was pretty big. Um, and we've done these before. We did we did a reunion of the Fania All Stars one year, the, the Living One. So we had uh, we managed to get a 4K remaster of our land thing, and everyone who was living, you know, got to come and see it. And so, you know, that was great because they never saw the film in like Dolby Digital. You know, when you're hearing this, you know, like crystal clear. Yeah, I, ne- I saw the movie on a DVD. I never saw the movie in the theaters. We had a 4K. So, Calixto, man, I, congratulations on everything for this year. It sounds like it's another exciting year for the New York Latino Film Festival. Um, you, so you got the Futuro Conference. I'll be moderating the keynote with Benjamin O'Dell, uh, who is an executive producer and a screenwriter for Tripas, along with Eugenio Derbez. And the lineup looks great. You guys have the Latinos Out Loud podcast, The Last Day. Um, so it seems like another amazing year. Are there any parting thoughts you want to leave with the ticket buyers before they get their tickets? No, please support network build. We've seen so many amazing collaborations come from the festival. So many people, you know, networking this power in numbers, this power in numbers when we're not only in the theaters, but when we're together in the same room and the ideas that manifest from that. Um, so whether you're at Futuro, whether you're, you know, in the films or even attending one of our industry panels, you know, by all means, like whether you have money or not, there's opportunity to attend this festival. And so, um, you know, we definitely want everybody to, to experience it. Cause I believe when you see a film at the festival, it's not like going to any movie theater. <laughs> I think we're in a room of us, just the energy is just different. And I've witnessed it. Um, 
And so I think once other people experience that, you know, they'll come back. And it's like family. It's like summer camp. It's crazy. Um, especially with the diehard fans. It's it, it kind of like summer camp. So, yeah, definitely come and experience it. The New York Latino Film Festival begins August 12th through the 18th. Good talking to you, Calixto. Thank you. Appreciate it. And before Mike and I go to our first reaction of Dora, here are three land tracks you might want to add to your playlist this weekend. Departamento, banda Los Chinos featuring Adán Jodorowsky. Valeria, de vicio. Parar el tiempo. Sima Funk. Dora, it's time for dinner. If you think you know Dora. Delicioso. Can you say delicioso? She'll grow out of it. We are at the AMC Lincoln Center on 68th and Broadway, where most of the big screenings for major movie studios are taking place. I'm here joined with Mike Sargent, film and culture critic, and a great friend of the show. And Mike, we're just finished watching Dora the Explorer. And uh, I'm glad you're here to talk about a little bit about this. We're watching the credits uh, roll as we do this first reaction. And uh, I love that Bombay Stereo from Colombia, one of my yeah. favorite bands, is playing as the credits are rolling as we finish seeing Dora the Explorer. Um, initial thoughts? Well, first of all, uh, you know, I love the concept of Dora the Explorer, what it was all about, what it is for kids and everything. So contextually, I love the fact that Dora exists. Right. Uh, I think it's very smart what they did. Make her a little bit older, make her appeal to kids who still watch her but also kids who used to watch her right right and i think that isabella monaire is going to be a a, a star huge, huge like, star huge star she's, she's always the best thing in anything she does and she's completely watchable completely enjoyable she totally carries the film absolutely i mean we've seen her in transformers i think it was her big debut she's been an instant family with mark Wahlberg. Twice with mark she was Wahlberg. in that uh sicario movie yes, with was. benicio del toro uh, and now she's carrying a major motion picture production by Paramount Studios. And one of the things about this film in particular is we have another Latino family. Much yes. like ABC has Grand Hotel on primetime uh, now in the summer, I think America is more accepting of what a Latino family that's not necessarily a gang members or poor living in the projects. Uh, what I like about Dora is that it comes from Nickelodeon, from the Viacom industry, from the Viacom uh, properties. 
And Paramount Pictures is using a lot of that to be able to attract this as a family film. Yes. And they also, there's a new division that I think this film is launching. Paramount Players. Yeah. yeah. Which is an interesting thing. And this is Walden Media. You know, I like the idea, everything you said. It's educational. Uh, it's, it's, you know, you said something key about, uh, you know, Latino family. And part of what I love about Dora is rep it, it's represented. Like, we see this represented. It's represented on screen. Right. You know, family's important. It's, a, it's an underlying theme. Friendship. You know? Friendship. I, I mean, you know, it's a kid's movie, but you, there's no way you can't sit there and not smile when things are happening. Right. And we also got to make sure that this isn't meant for adults to go watch by themselves or anything. Well, I mean, that would be a little weird. It'd be for the child <laughs> in you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I grew up with Dora the Explorer. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. sure, yeah. sure um, so essentially, I mean, uh, this is an important film for me because it puts brown-skinned actors, brown-skinned family, uh, on the forefront of what mainstream media is. I mean, doesn't get bigger than Hollywood. Doesn't get bigger uh, than a Paramount Pictures film. And, and this is a huge IP. Okay. This is a huge IP. It's been very successful on the cartoon level with kids. And I think that one of the things that Paramount wants to do here is cross that over uh, on a bigger scale, right? Merchandising is, I think, uh, one of the things that we're going to see out of this film. Dolls, uh, maybe even uh, a little concert tour with Dora and the band. Uh, who knows? Uh, there's a lot they could do with it. But, you know, what you said is important. I think it's an important film. It, you know, getting away from the importance, it's enjoyable. It, it's it's fun, and I really enjoyed seeing all those Latino performers, Michael Pena and, and uh, Eva Longoria, Eva Longoria and, Eugenio Derbez, Eugenio Derbez, who I know you've interviewed here mm -hmm. on the show. Uh, it, it was great just to see them all working together, and I, and I enjoyed seeing in the credits so many Latino names, the director of photography and, the, you know, the producer and this person behind the scenes. So that's fun, too, because at this point, you know, there's a lot of stories to tell. And there are. We need to be part of them. You know? Right. And, they're, they're, you know, <laughs> it just needs to. I enjoyed that all the characters uh, were people of color, almost. Right. So the, the, the crew, the, the Dora and her friends, it was also something you had a, yeah. um, either an Indian or Middle Eastern woman, girl, right, actress. Right, right, right. Uh, you had a Latino kid in Diego. Right. You had a white kid right, in right. the comic relief of the show. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, you had Dora, the, the family. Um, and and, and I, I feel, look, I'm not going to say this was a perfect movie in any way, that this is the next Black Panther. This is not the next Black Panther. This is not the next Crazy Rich Asians. Um, can this make it to number one at the box office? I do think so, and here's why. It's a family film with a known, popular, global, recognized IP in Dora the Explorer. Absolutely. It's going to bring in a lot of parents, and it's like white parents, black parents. We saw it here today. A lot of white kids, black kids, were laughing at Latino gags. At, sure. we, we saw a lot of the inside references that kids will get, the kids reacted to. Kids loved it from what sure. I was listening well, and, and watching here. And the other thing that's also interesting, yes, is definitely Latino deaf is definitely brown, but it's also girl power. That's does right. not depend on the boys to save her. She's the one saving everybody. And I think that's a significant message. And I think that's part of what has made Dora so popular. You know, little girls need heroes just as much as little boys do. 
Right, so, right. So that's that's pretty. I mean, you have a little have girl. A little girl, she loved it, Dora the Explorer when she was little. So I, I told. Would I, she be totally into watching this movie and liking it? What I do would you think? love to hear what her thoughts are. I think she would enjoy it, of course, because again, the Dora's sixteen in the movie, oh. and and that's that age where mm-hmm. you're, you're not a little girl anymore, but you're not. You know, Dora's not interested in boys, but we know that's coming. You know? Right. So. It's it's really, uh, but it's an element with other characters. Right, right. So I really, I, I really, again, like you said, it's it's not a perfect movie, but it's an adventure. It's like uh, Indiana Jones, like there are exactly. lots of adventures. Indiana Jones turns. with a with with a fifteen year old, you know, lead. Latina lead. female lead right. uh, is what you can expect. It's an action adventure. Uh, that really picks up almost halfway through the film is when the movie kind of starts getting its legs. Yeah. Uh, the first half, you know, it's a little boring, nah, not really interesting. You're not really laughing at many of the jokes. And then the pace really picks up. And if you give it a chance, I think that's when you probably get a bang for your buck through here. I agree. I, I think the humor probably is the weakest part of the film. Yeah. The but remember, it's a PG humor, so it's not exactly. really meant for adults to be laughing at. It's kids... We're, we're laughing at the stupidest yes, little were. things that, yes, I, that for Same me things. that were you know kind of dumb but well, they loved it that's it and you're right and and that was that's kind of the fun thing we saw it with the target audience right which is a lot of kids yeah and, that's right and the kids enjoyed it and that's that's really what you know again like you said it's a family film it's a film that you'll enjoy you know and it's gonna have a long life on oh, on dvd and cable it's kind of movie yeah. you can go away and come back oh there's something else is happening oh something else is happening oh, <laughs> you know so the there's a lot of that, and that's it's fun. You know, um, on some parting words in my uh, particular view of the film, some yeah. things I would like to see a little bit better. Okay, uh, what we didn't see was the fact that the director wasn't Hispanic here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know how much. I mean, you're 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 a filmmaker. I want to see more power, more executive authority on the back end, not necessarily. We have to begin somewhere. So I am okay with finally seeing um, a platform where Americans of all ethnicities, of all skin colors, can watch a Latino family, a Latino story, um, mixed in with a context of mainstream uh, mainstream scenarios like an action adventure, right, um, that anybody could could totally get into. Um, and that's great. We can start on screen, but off camera, where the true power is right. to greenlight a lot of these projects, right. we need to see more of that. Um, and I didn't see enough there, but maybe it would have impacted yeah, it. Exactly. Maybe it would have impacted it and would have probably even been a better film. Do you, you think that uh, this movie will get a sequel? Uh, I definitely think that this movie could get a sequel, and and they'd have to do it quickly because you know she's she's going to age out in a certain amount of time. But uh, I also think you know something you mentioned here that I wanted to touch upon. You talk about parting shots. The other thing about a movie, a movie, and you're engrossed in the world, and you know it's clearly a fantasy world because there are a lot of fantasy elements in Dora. But you know, I like that some parts are in Spanish. Right, Some right. parts aren't, and, and it wasn't that forced, like, they just throw it in. It felt a little more natural as to when, uh, you know, you're going to talk in Spanish when you're saying something personal, something that you can only express in your in your native language. I enjoyed that, but also the, the, the culture, you know. On some levels, it made fun of itself and make fun of food and things, and there's some silly mm-hmm. humor. But on the other level, just accepting 
you know, sort of like what Cosby Show did, just accepting normalizing like, the normalizing uh, a, a Latino family, especially in the wake of El Paso, El Paso, and and what some people, how some people would prefer to view uh, Latinos in America. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it, I think it's important. I think again, representation to see it. To feel it, to enjoy it, to laugh, to, to be able to bring your your little girl or little boy to see this movie, and and they enjoy it, and they don't have to have right. any of the bias the rest of some of these crazy people. Do. You know, I grew up uh, in an era where um, I always thought in my head that a white kid, a white person, would be feared, would fear seeing a brown skin on screen. Like he would be like, oh, I don't want to see that and walk out. That they would reject it. And therefore rejecting me in the process. Because if you can't accept it on screen, then why would you accept it in your life? And, And that is what I went through. So here already in my 40s to watch this and to see little white kids and little black kids um, laugh with it and go, oh my God, this is so funny. That to me was ultimately um, the triumph here. I agree with you. I agree with you 100%. And, and I, I definitely know how significant it is to not see yourself on screen, to not see yourself marketed, to not see yourself, you know, heroes that look like you. Right. And I think it's, I think it's important for people of color and for definitely for women because you know, there are plenty of male heroes out there. Yeah. You know, and, yeah. and females and a young female hero. And I love the fish out of water element of this too. <laughs> yeah. It made it fun. It's like it, it embraces who Dora is, but okay, what if you put Dora around normal people? Right. How would How they would treat that? Dora? And that's that's a fun <laughs> fun conceit I thought of the film. Uh and, and I also think, you know, again, it's it's pleasant, you know. May not be the best film. Definitely you don't feel it didn't get stupid. Right. Right. And that says a lot for a kid's film. Right. So this is not Black Panther, it's not Crazy Rich Asians, but it's a start. And I think it's a start in the right direction. We need a franchise. Uh, or we need several, several. we need several franchises. And this is the beginning. You know, hopefully, um, I have a feeling that this movie might might be number one, number two. And Paramount has to really make a decision if being a number two is good enough. Uh, because if it's good enough and they greenlit a second part, now we have a franchise. Now we're talking that this could have legs uh, and it would be the first one that we have as a culture. Uh, I mean, probably ever. Or, well, they had Spy Kids that was a franchise, but that never had the scale of, you know, being a paramount mainstream picture. No. And, and, and again, I'm glad Spy Kids happened when it did. But like what you're asking, did it change things? No, it didn't change things. Uh, Dora has been around for a long time. Yeah. And Dora is, is a property that... And it's a crossover property. It's a crossover property. It hasn't really been exploited in live action, you know. Uh, and, you know, in an age where Disney's planning to reboot everything they've ever done. Okay? <laughs> you know, I was just reading today, they're going to remake Home Alone. You know, I know. The new channel, all these things. You know, it's fun to see something that hasn't been taken... Uh, live action, take it live action and do something with it, especially for people of color. So from the AMC theaters on 68th and Broadway, Mike Sargent, Jack Rico, first reaction. (laughs) 
And that's it for episode 121 of the Highly Relevant Podcast. I want to thank Galix and Mike for hopping on the show. And if you'd like to support this podcast, please spread the love on social media and tell all your friends about it. You can reach me on Instagram at Jack Rico and on my Facebook page at Jack Rico 40. Remember, it's only through your support that our show can grow. I'm Jack Rico. See you next week on another episode of Highly Relevant. Is this house a good price compared to others in the area? Are prices going up or down? If I don't make an offer right this very moment, will I miss my chance? These are just some of the questions a home buyer might ask. And these are the sorts of questions an agent who is a Realtor can help answer. Because Realtors have the expertise, data, and access to specialty training to help you navigate the process of buying a home. They provide support, guidance, and have your back every step of the way. That's what Realtors do, because that's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.